Well, I want to tell you, I'm extra honored to be with you. And in case you can't notice, get a real close shot here of my sticker. Uh, I've been envious of people wearing these for a long time. Can you see that? You know what that is? That means you have a child in the church. And my grandson is here this morning. So in, in case number V83 comes up on the screen and I have to leave you, that's what I'm doing because I have a more important appointment to, to be a part of. Hey, we're doing a series called In Search of Happiness. In Search of Happiness. It's what the world longs for. Uh, we, the Bible has a lot to say about it. I mean, no, life is, is filled with troubles, challenges. The Bible doesn't promise a trouble-free life, but in the midst of our troubles, we can find happiness in Christ. Last week, we talked about how to have a, how to have a happy home. And today, I want to talk to you about how to be happy at work. I've even entitled this, I love my job. Now, how many can say really, preach, I love my job? Come on, wave your hand at me here. So how many can say, I don't really love my job, but I'd like to. Okay, how many wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I said? All right. Well, anyway, let me give you a scripture, Ecclesiastes 3, because I want you to see that two things. Number one, work is God's idea. And number two, you can enjoy what you do even if it's difficult and hard sometimes. Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon said in his wisdom, God wants all people to eat and drink and be happy in their work. And notice what it says, this is God's gift to man. In other words, the, 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 uh, our food and drink are produced by our work. Our work helps us earn a living. And this is a gift from God, and uh, 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 God wants us to be able to enjoy the product of our life. Now, when I talk about the word work uh, synonymous with a job, uh, I want to think more broadly than just what we do to earn a living. I want you to think a little more broadly than 9 to 5 or 8 to 5 or the late shift that you might work. But in its most basic sense, work is what we produce or accomplish by effort or skill. Uh, work is what you do uh, for a young person when they're going to school. Schooling is their work. When they come home and their, and their jobs are, 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 is to take out the trash before they play Nintendo or whatever, that's their job. That's their work. Uh, obviously, if you go out to the workplace, as most of us do, we know what our job is. If you happen to be a stay-at-home mom, your job is raising your children. Your job is maintaining the household. So as I present this today, it's intended to be very broad. Uh, another way you can look at work as the purpose of our life. Because our life's purpose is more than just to have fun. Even if we're retired, if you're retired from, quote, work, you still have a purpose in life. Uh, work could encompass Christian service. Uh, the Bible speaks of the work of the ministry. So whether we're using our gifts and abilities to do things for the Lord, it could be in a, quote, volunteer capacity, but it could be a job. So this is what I'm speaking about work. I think it'll, it'll appeal to all of us this morning. Uh, it is the opposite of play. Work is a chore that we've been assigned or a task to be done. And uh, hey, weren't those baptisms and kids, uh, uh, kid dedication great this morning? That was really great. Only problem, though, they took about five, six minutes of my sermon, so I'm going to need if I can have it back, Okay. We, we give it back to me now. If I can get five or six extra minutes, you just kind of relax there. The restaurant will be there for you. Listen, I guarantee you there will be no line at Bryce's. So it's a good chance whenever you leave, you'll be the first person there. So let me just, uh, let me leave you with that. Hey, Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Listen, man goes out to his work and to his labor 
until the evening. It's an agrarian society, which simply means they got up early, they worked all day until the sun began to go down. Now, how many know if work is the main thing we do with our life, we need to understand work from God's perspective. And I'll suggest to you that in so doing is the path to finding happiness in our life. And that's what I hope to do with you today, to share a biblical understanding of work. We'll begin in the book of Genesis. We'll see that work is God's idea for all of us. Then we'll see four biblical purposes for work. And then the last section, I'll talk to you a little bit about a pathway to a blessed life through work. Uh, And then we'll even talk about laziness a little bit too. So I'll have something for everybody today. Uh, But it's called, I Love My Job. And I like to begin in Genesis chapter 2 with the thought that work is God's idea. God, my friends, was the first worker and God had and has a job. Genesis chapter 2, after creation, the Bible says this, in the seventh day... God finished his work, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he'd done. God worked to create everything in the known universe. Notice what it said. God worked for six days. All of creation, everything that you see around you today, you see the Bible as it teaches us the sun and the moon, the stars are God's handiwork. God is the creator. God is the one that set in process the motion for life. Uh, You and I didn't evolve from monkeys. The work of God was to shape the body of Adam with his hands, to breathe into his breath the gift of life. God used creativity in his work. God used intelligence in his work. And this was God's job. But I want you to see as well that God not only worked, but God rested. It was the seventh day. So listen, I'll suggest to you that all of us need three things for a happy life. We need the balance between work, between rest, and between, enjoy, between having fun. You see, there's a rhythm of, of rest. And something I've learned from my own life, if you don't take, we call it a day off. The Bible called it a Sabbath. If you don't have a weekly day of rest, you can only work so long until it catches up on you. I mean, no, burnout is real. You'll wear yourself out. But how many know if all you want to do is rest in life and sleep in every day, how many know you're going to lose your job? Now, everybody wants to play, but work is more than having fun. Work is more than, you know, going turkey hunting. Work is more than watching television. Work is more than just sitting in front of Netflix and watching the next show just because you can. Play is a good thing. It's, it's an enjoyable experience, but we've got to find the balance between work and rest and fun. Now, God gave Adam a job to do. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam was created had a beautiful wife, but they needed something to do with their life. Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, and he put him there to God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to work the garden, to tend it and watch over it and to keep it. And then the Lord commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat. So his work provided provision to eat of every tree of the garden. Now, Yesterday, uh, I, I've been turkey hunting a bit lately, and my garden's got a bit overgrown. So I took an hour yesterday on my hands and knees pulling up weeds out of my asparagus bed and getting my raspberry vines back in their cage. Well, listen, I enjoy that. That's not laborious to me. That's not something I've got to do. Uh, I know people that absolutely hate yard work. Wave your hand at me here. You'd rather do anything, cut the grass. Look around the room there. You just don't know what you're missing. So... To you, work has a negative connotation in the garden, but to me, it's joy. But it is work, and that's what Adam did. And what I want you to see from this is work provided his living. 
Work provided his living. Work put shoes on his feet, as it were, in today's world. Work gave him money for vacation. It was not his parents. It was not the government. It was not somebody else. But the primary means of which sufficiency came was through work. Uh, he didn't expect God to just give him everything. He didn't just wait around watching for the latest you know, new thing on Netflix. No, he was out there working. And I guarantee you, he didn't lay in bed and send Eve, uh, send Eve out to pull the weeds. He worked. Now, after the fall of man, here's where the, the hardship of work, here's where the sweat came in. Uh, his punishment is not described as work, but as toil. That's different. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, 19, by the sweat of your face, you'll eat bread. So when sin came into wor in the world, when the fall of man happened, when man turned his back on God, what literally happened in the world is work took on itself an element of hardship. There was pressure, the pressure you know and experience when you have to go to the bank and borrow money. You know how hard it is if the baby's been up all night and now you got to go to work and that day the air can, I mean, it's just hard. If you make tires for a living, you dread July because it is hot at Cooper Tire. Uh, you know, if you're a welder by trade, whatever your trade is, how many know it, it, there's, there's difficulty in it, but that doesn't negate work. Work is not negative, bad, or evil. Work is a good thing. And if I can make an application here, everyone, if physically possible, should work. Now listen, there are disa disabled people, but listen, a disabled person, unless you're just laying in a hospital bed, you can still do something with your life. You may not be able to do a nine to five job, but there are some things that we can do because work is more than just punching a clock. Work is the purpose of our life. We'll see what it, what it gives us. Um, in, in the Bible, people worked in all sorts of things. They worked in agriculture and business, lots of employment, and even household chores are considered work. Uh, just to be all-encompassing, let me, let me read a passage about a, a woman that's extolled in Scripture. Uh, Proverbs chapter 31, it asks the question, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? Now look at verse 13. This virtuous wife finds wool and flax and busily spins it. In other words, she's making clothes in their day. They didn't have Walmart to buy them at or Dillard's. But look at verse 15. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household. And that's kind of traditional what a woman had done. But notice she's a business lady. Verse 16, she goes to inspect a field. She buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Verse 17 says she's a hard worker. Her lamp burns late into the night. In other words, it doesn't stop at 5 o'clock, but this is a part of her life, caring for her family, making money, uh, making the household run well. Uh, now, this is clearly context contextually specific to women, but in the Bible, all people were expected to work. Uh, uh, not only the man, the woman worked, the children would work. Uh, when I was raised, I was raised on a farm, and, and my dad expected me to work. Uh, I mean... When it came time at 7 o'clock or so in the morning and fields were ready to be plowed, Dad yelled up and said, get your blank out of bed. Time to get up. Time to go to work. And I would work. And the older I got, the more I worked. And Dad was not punishing me, but I was a part of a family. And I want you to hear this. My dad taught me a work ethic. And in my chosen profession, whatever level of success that I've been able to enjoy, part of it is attributed to the fact that I have learned to hard, work hard in my life. But listen... I saw it was so valuable in my life that I wanted my son to work hard. The only problem, I didn't have a farm for him, so the church became our farm, and those pine trees provided uh, the work environment out there. So he was out there raking pine leaves, and one day we almost came to Duke's because he was having to rake. But when he was 18, we did a little landscaping. There was some rocks to be carried away right out in front of the church, and uh, John's out there in the August sun, 105 degrees, picking them up. 
a landscaper came by who had a business in Magnolia. And uh, she asked him who he was and what he did. And he said, he's going to school there at SAU. And on the spot, she said, I'll give you a job. I'll let you work in my business office. And just like that, before you know it, he's got an accounting degree. Then he pushes himself. He gets a CPA license, passes all the tests the first go-round. Not because of dad any longer. Now it's coming from inside. And then he goes to U of A, gets an MBA, and now he is rocking and rolling for the rest of his life. Why? He learned a work ethic. It would have been different, come on now, if you lay in front of the air conditioner and watch TV every day when it's hard. Because we'll expect people to give to us what we should produce for ourselves. I'm preaching better than your amening this morning. Let me give you four biblical purposes for work. The first and most obvious is we work to provide for our needs. Our food, our shelter, our clothing, our vacation money, tennis shoes for our kids. 2 Thessalonians 3, brothers and sisters. Now listen to how strong this is. By the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you. Now, what is coming next? Stay away from any believer who refuses to work. I've never heard that preached in church. Paul said, we were not lazy when we were with you. But we, when we ate someone else's food, we paid for it. We worked very hard night and day. And when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Anyone who refuses to work... Yeah, one translation says, no worky, no eating. It's my translation. <laughs> Verse 11, we hear that some people in your group refuse to work. And listen to this strength. We command those people, work quietly and earn your own food. Now, that's not punishment because work is the door into prosperity. Work is God's door into provision. Work is the reason because our forefathers were willing to work, what Tom Brokaw called the great generation. It was not just because they were men and women of war, but they were the ones that, 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 that provided the fuel for the industrial revolution that, uh, that, that caused our nation to grow and prosper as it did. And what fueled the industrial revolution, historians tell us, was the Protestant work ethic. And it was gained from this scripture that I just read you. Now, let me make some observations. God expects able-bodied people to work and take care of themselves. Now, let me say this. I am grateful I live in a nation that if someone is truly disabled, an elderly person, if someone does not have food, I am grateful I live in a nation that provides help and care for people. I pray to God if you or I are ever in that spot that there's something that's provided a safety net to care for us. But the problem is our modern welfare system is broken. Our welfare system entraps people in it. And politicians use it to vie and win votes. And I'll even suggest the modern immigration debate. Many want open borders simply so they can have votes of new folks that they're giving handouts to. Something is wrong. Something is wrong with that. Uh, uh, The welfare system as we know it gives no incentive to work. And if people work, their lives will improve. Again, we're talking about the able-bodied because let me make this statement. Working is the way to self-sufficiency. And this is not just a preacher. Here's what the world would condition you to say. Well, you're just a white man of privilege. Well, maybe I am white. God made me that way. Maybe I'm privileged because of God's blessing and my work and my father's example. But maybe... The state of Maine has proven that it has nothing to do with your race. It has everything to do with your willingness to work. In October of 2014, the state of Maine required able-bodied childless adults on food stamps to work, train, or volunteer to receive their benefits. And you know what happened? Those who left that program saw their incomes on average more than double in a year. 
Because welfare will never give you enough to have the good life that you want. It might stretch the edges a little bit more, but then you'll just feel entitled that somebody else can take care of me. Nobody can take care of you better than you. I'm preaching better than you're amening now. Here's the second reason we work biblically. We work for inner satisfaction and purpose in life. This is an intrinsic value of worth that's not on the paycheck. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18, Solomon again said, I've seen what is best for people on earth, that they should eat and drink and enjoy their work. Now, many modern Americans don't believe that's best. Many modern Americans are taught and their, their role models have showed them what's best is sleep till 11 or 12, get up, have something to eat, watch some TV, and go out all night and party and have fun and sell drugs or, or, or whatever you do. And that's what is defined as best. But there is something better from God's perspective. Verse 19 says, God gives some people the ability to enjoy the wealth and property he gives them. God's the source of it all. Our work is the way to get it. As well as the ability to accept their state in life and enjoy their work. What does it mean to accept my state in life? Here's a fact. All of us, through either personal choices of our own or limitations in our culture or whatever the case may be, we're going to find ourselves in a career path. All work is admirable. I don't care if you're doing retail work or if you're a surgeon. All work is admirable. And all of us will end up at some level. We'll find some place of life, some type of car that we can buy, some size of home. And what the Bible says is that we can accept our state and be happy in that even if we don't have as much as somebody else. But notice this next one, verse 20. They don't worry how short life is, and say this with me, because God keeps them busy in what they love to do. God keeps them busy in what they love to do. I'm telling you, friends, there's something powerful in that satisfaction and purpose. Your work can bring you joy, self-respect, dignity, fulfillment, and significance. And I don't care if you're seven years old, 17 or 70. When I was a boy, my dad, I would plow in the field and I'd run that little four-row cultivator in first or second gear. And my happiness would often be dependent on how big the field was. We didn't have air conditioning, didn't have a roof over the top. And uh, it was so boring, I would look forward to a cloud just coming across the long field to get in front of the sun for a minute or two. But invariably, I'd start that field, and it would be weeds everywhere. And when I would finish, whether it was in an afternoon or if it took three days, I'd always stop and look back, and I'd see the clean furrows, and the weeds were gone, and I'd see the crops growing, and it made me feel good inside. That same satisfaction, the work of my life now, is what I do in preaching a sermon or in the role of a pastor. After church is over, I sit in my truck, and the first thing I do is say, Thank you, Lord. And I, and I find a sense of gratification. When I go home and I work in my yard, uh, 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 it, it, you know, I'm in that garden and I'm planting things and I'm seeing things grow and uh, it just makes me feel good. If I go out there and find a piece of cauliflower that big, it just brings me a sense of satisfaction. Well, guess what? I didn't go to Albertsons to get the cauliflower. I put the seed in the ground, I tilled it, I watered it, and guess what? God made it grow. But work offers this. Um, anyway, I'm going to keep going. Let me give you a third one, and you may not have thought of, of this purpose, but we work to help other people. You say, now wait a minute now, preacher. That sounds like the government making me do something or socialism. I'll explain that in a second. Ephesians 4, 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work 
with his own hands, and say this next part, so he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, isn't that the oddest scripture? Because I just thought when the check said John Miller, or when the check said, you know, whatever it was, Kevin Moat, then that's my money. Well, there's a disparity in the world economically, and the government wants to tax more to, you know, take some of the rich and, 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 and give to people that are in need, or socialism, or even communism believes we all should be equally poor. But what it is, it's an imposition from the outside. But what's biblical is a desire that part of what God gives me, I want to use to help other people. Not because I have to, but because I want to. And I see my work giving me that ability. You remember with the, the, the passage we read about the, uh, the woman, the hardworking woman, Proverbs 31. She's a hard worker. Verse 20, she extends her helping hand to the poor, and she opens her arm to the needy. I'll tell you, friends, there is a blessing that comes from work in a way that God might be able to use you. And particularly if God has blessed you with a lot of money. I have a friend, he's a contractor in the Metroplex. And he started out small as most do. And now he's a mega contractor. I mean, he builds hospitals, he builds, I mean, he is rolling. And he's got an airplane and this and all these little toys. But guess what he did a few number of years ago? He decided when he started his business, I'm going to dedicate it to God. And I'm not just going to spend it all on myself. But he said, I'm going to help people around the world. And he found a missionary and he partnered with and together over the last probably 30 years, they have built literally hundreds of churches together. They have built hospitals. Right now they're building a church, uh, a half a million dollar church in Mexico is a huge church that will be a ministry center for a whole state, a whole region in Mexico. One day it'll have a hospital, orphanages and all these things. Well, guess what? This came not just from the leftovers, but this man decided early on, I'm going to use what God gives me to bless people. And he got God's attention and showed that he could be trustworthy, and now his prosperity has only increased over time. When you share with other people what God gives you, you get yourself in a rhythm of God's blessing. Let me read another scripture to you while we talk about helping others. Uh, and this is for an employer or a business owner. And it's, it's a correction from the book of James. And I don't make an implication uh, uh, about you because of that. But I'll read the scripture. In James, what James was correcting, he said, The workers you've exploited, your employees, you've exploited and cheated them in wages. They cry out for judgment. This is the old robber baron. This is someone that basically treats employees like slaves. He said, your life on earth was full of rich living and pleasing yourselves with everything you wanted. And he corrects them for that. Now, in our world today, we realize inequity. Uh, our government tries to make laws to help with inequity. For example, when Obamacare, they decided that any employer that has 50 people working for them, they would have to provide health care. Well, listen, everybody needs health care. Praise the Lord for it. But how much better it is if it comes from a willing heart? Wouldn't it be a better thing if the heart of the business people in our nation recognized that, that God bless them, they're going to receive it, they're going to enjoy it and have a good life, but they're also going to bless the employees that are working for them. Now, how many know you can only pay what you can pay? When the government forces minimum wage laws and around some parts of the country $15 an hour, what invariably happens is low minimum wage employees lose their jobs because a business doesn't have a perpetual money machine. Uh, an entry-level wage was never intended to be a stopping place. It was always intended to be a beginning place to go forwards to build a life. But there's a blessing in what God entrusts us. And my last one, a purpose, is that our work or our job is a platform for ministry. 
I want you to hear me on this one. And what I mean by this is the place that I work where I'm going to spend most of the time of my life could well be used to further God's kingdom. And I'll give you two examples. One has to do with the talents and abilities that we have. Every person in this room is gifted at something. Every one of us. I mean, listen, uh, uh, the, the, whatever artistry you see around this church, it's not me. I can barely draw a straight line with a ruler. I have other things that I'm pretty good at, but we all have gifts and abilities. And here's what I want to challenge you with. See your ability as a gift from God that can be used to help his kingdom. Exodus chapter 36, an Old Testament passage. But there's two guys, Bezalel and Ohiliab, and every skilled person, notice what it says, the skilled people, the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. So here was the deal. Under Moses, God told Moses, I want you to build this, this uh, portable sanctuary in the wilderness. And Moses didn't have a Lowe's uh, to go down to. He couldn't go to Amazon or the Internet and download the plans and hire the workers. No, God gave people abilities. And these people used their ability collectively to do a kingdom work. Now, I want to suggest to you, listen, just in, the, in this remodeling of our church, God has blessed us with an architect. We have engineers, uh, uh, construction men. Uh, we have contractors. And they're going to take a portion of their time, and they're going to work here, and then they'll go to their next job. Well, guess what? If you built Gander Mountain or if you built Kmart, right now it's empty, and there's not much happening there that has much kingdom value. I guess the rats have a place to live now, but other than that, there's not much happening there. But when you invest yourself in something like a church... I'm telling you, friends, something big happens over time. But it's not just people in professional roles. We have a group in our church of men. It's a little handyman's group. And they are, are dedicated to helping widows and helping people who, who are in great need that need the work of a handyman. Now, you may think it's easy to fix the toilet, but it's not. Most time that I try to do some plumbing work, it's leaking worse after I started than when, when I began. <laughs> But the other day I noticed there was someone, I think they'd had a stroke, I think I'm correct, but they went and built some steps or they went and built him a way to get into his house. What are they doing? They're using their abilities. You may say, well, I don't have any abilities, Pastor, but I tell you what, you can cook a biscuit like nobody's brother. Are you with me today? How many know there are rolls and there are biscuits? That's a gift. I, I, I read the internet recipe. I cannot do that. Well, how about this? Make enough for your family and put a smile on their face and a little honey, but make some, with, make some for somebody that's in trouble. Make some for somebody that's getting out of the hospital. How many know biscuits and gravy? How many know sausage gravy we'll keep in the refrigerator for a while? Something that'll put a smile on their face. All of us have something that we can do. Some, some people are gifted for children. Let me tell you one of the proudest things if I can use that word, and I think it's rightly used, that our, our church started doing last year. Uh, we make a place, uh, we have made a place for, uh, what's the right term, Linnell? For homeless moms. No, I'm talking about the children upstairs. Special needs kids. Special needs kids that are 9, 10 years old and have to wear a diaper. Special needs kids that have autism, that just can't find a church home because their kid disrupts. A little boy right over here made a special room for that for them. And we had a Bible school up there. We had to go off campus and pay money to lease a building. 
But when those kids were coming, right now we have about six of those kids, and I thought, how in the world are you going to find staff to do that? I went up there the other day, and I met three of the people that were just as excited as they could be about helping those children. Somebody gave $10,000 to buy stuff. They're buying an adult changing table. Don't ask me to do that. But somebody feels called to do it. See, these are gifts from God. Uh, why would a single mom, I wish we had time to have introduced her when four of those kids got baptized. She has five out of the foster care system. All, and those kids were talking about loving Jesus. I'm getting baptized because I love Jesus. She's a, she's a, she's a single woman. Why would she adopt those children? Because she had love in her heart and a grace and ability to raise those children. These are gifts from God. So God gives you talents and abilities for a kingdom purpose. And here's one more, and i, I got to finish. Our, our job offers us more than a paycheck. Anyone in the workforce has a marketplace ministry. And what I mean by that is simply this. If you can honestly say you prayed and you felt the Lord wanted you to take that job, then that's your biggest mission field you'll have while you're there. Your job is more than a paycheck. Listen, you're rubbing shoulders with people that will never listen to a sermon in this church. You're rubbing, you're rubbing shoulders with people. You're, they're watching you go through crisis and trouble. At the right time, you're talking about Christ. You have a greater potential to influence people than I'll ever have because they get to see you up close and personal. Listen, friend, your job is not there for a check. It's a place where your kingdom light can shine. Now, let me head toward the end. My third big point here, work is God's pathway to a blessed life. Every one of us in this room share this in common. We want God's blessing. Everyone that's in this room want a new pair of shoes. Come on now. Want to be able to have a nice vacation. Want to drive a nice car. Every young person in this room wants life to be rocking and rolling when you're 21. Let me give you something to help you. And I want you to remember these three words. I promise this will help you. Whether you work for somebody or own your business. Integrity, skill, and hard work. Let me say it again. Integrity, skill, and hard work. Let me read you a few scriptures. This is God's plan for a blessed life. Proverbs 11, the integrity of the honest keeps them on track. Integrity means being honest, responsible, truthful. But notice the deviousness of crooks brings them to ruin. I talked to a friend recently who owns restaurants in different cities around us. And they were complaining because the food costs of Texarkana were so high. And I thought, well, shoot, don't you buy the French fries from the same place? He said, it's not where I buy it, it's that people steal it. So that's not integrity. When you see the tin in the cash register or the French fries that you can put in your pocket or whatever the case is, listen, that is not the path for a blessed life. That's the crooked path that's going to lead you to ruin. Integrity is one part, like a leg on a stool. Here's the second part, verse 22. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He'll stand before kings and not obscure men. What does that mean? You find somebody that's skilled, they're not going to be making $8 an hour. They're going to be making $18 or $80 or $800 an hour. Skill. Listen, if I have a brain tumor, I don't want somebody to prescribe me goat's milk and uh, 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 antibiotic cream. Are you with me today? If I have a tumor in my brain or if my heart needs surgery... I want the most skilled surgeon I can find. I don't want to go to somebody that said, I got a good track record. Every other one gets off the table. I don't want that man. 
I want somebody that's good at what they do, and they make a lot of money do it. Skill, here's the third one. Hard work brings rewards. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work, what's it say? Grows over time. Now, settle back just a second. I want to show you a little video here. we got about five minutes more. I want to illustrate integrity to you through a video from a movie called Courageous. Here's a guy. Let me set it up for you so we don't show you much. Here's a guy. He's fairly new to America. Uh, he's a Hispanic man. You can tell he's a hard worker. He wants his job. The plant manager is needing a new supervisor. He wants someone to supervise the supply side, so he's trying to find an honest man, so he gives him a test. He said, and he's looking across the desk real tough and stern, he said, now listen, this, to fill this position, there'll be times when a box comes through and it'll have 17 parts in it, but I want you to write on the paper 16. 17 in there, but I want you to write 16. And he says, can you do this for me? And he didn't answer. He said, I want you to think about it overnight. You do understand what I'm offering you now. You do understand that this will be your job. And what he was asking him to do is he's asking him to lie. Listen to his response uh, in this little clip. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Martinez. How are you this morning? Fine, thank you. How are you? I don't know yet. Please, have a seat. Trust you've had time to think about our conversation yesterday. Yes, sir, I did. And what did you decide? Are you on my team? Mr. Tyson, I am very grateful to have a job here. I cannot do as you have asked. Then why is that? Because it is wrong, sir. And it would be dishonoring to my God and my family to lie on that report. Do you understand what this may do to your job here? Yes, sir, I do. Javier, may I shake your hand? Young man, you just gave me the right answer. I've been looking for someone to manage inventory and shipping, and quite frankly, you were the last person on my list. But I need somebody I can trust. Will you take the job? We'll adjust your pay. I'll be honored to, sir. Good. Then the job is yours. Now, Walter will go over all the specifics with you, and I'll make the announcement to the staff on Monday. Congratulations, Javier. Owen Javier, thanks for your integrity. It's rare. That's not just a movie that makes you feel good. I guarantee you, I know a lot of people that own companies, run businesses, managers, and the most important thing they're looking for is character. They want to know if somebody's going to steal. They want to know if somebody's going to be honest. They want to know if somebody's going to cut corners. And you say, well, what if he'd have lost his job? What if he was working for a crook? You, get another job then. Because listen, when you do something because of Christ, Jesus is going to get involved on your behalf. <laughs> So that's integrity. Now let's do the flip side. Laziness. How many know someone that's lazy? Raise your hand now. You can even raise your hand for yourself. Sure. Laziness, by definition, not wanting to work because it's hard and not fun. 
Lazy people are inactive, passive, lethargic, neglectful, and negligent. This is getting good, isn't it? Let me read you a proverb. Proverbs 10, 4. Lazy people are soon poor. They'll blame everybody else, but it's the man in the mirror that's the problem. Lazy people irritate their employers. Lazy people, another verse, want much, but get little. And here's this one. As a door swings back and forth on its hinges, a lazy person turns over in their bed. Now, I can't think of a better way to illustrate this from a little movie clip called Office Space. It's a real short one about a lazy man. Now, oh, by the way, they're trying to decide in the interview whether they're going to keep him on the job or lay him off because they've got to do cutbacks. Tell me what you think. Would you walk us through a typical day for you? Yeah. Great. Well, I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. Uh, I use the side door. That way Lumberg can't see me. <laughs> and uh, after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. Tell him uh, space out? Yeah. I just stare at my desk. But it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. But he wants a raise in stock options. I don't need to say any more, any, any more about that. If you just make the choice to work hard, to develop your skills, if you'll be an honest person, I promise you, friend, life will do that for you. Let me close it with a last thought. Uh, first things first, and advice for people that are starting out in life. Maybe you're young, maybe you're either in high school, you're in college, or maybe you're starting in the workplace. Let me, let me give you some biblical advice. Proverbs 24, 27. First, everybody say first. First, finish your outside work and prepare your fields. It's like he's saying, first thing, get your education. First thing, figure out how you're going to earn money. First thing, don't just go looking for a job, but get on the pathway for a career. After that, you can build your house. After that, you can buy the big screen TV. After that, you can get a new car. But don't buy the big screen TV and the car before you have prepared the outside work because the field is going to produce your money. If you, will have that, if you will have that mentality and obey that Bible verse and first make yourself marketable. See, school may be the pathway. It may be technical school. It may be on-the-job training. I don't know what it may be. But something, friend, there is a skill where you can make money and be better than anybody else is doing it. Somebody can smoke fish better than anybody else. Come on now. Somebody can cook Cajun food better than everybody else. Their restaurant will be full. If we can develop, if we can do it better than the next guy, if we'll work a little bit harder, and if we'll be honest, I promise you, friend, the sky's the limit. sky's the limit. Here's a little adage. I bet you've heard it. Pay now, play later. But if you play now, you're going to pay later. Which means two jobs just to put tennis shoes on your kids. But one day you got to pay. Well, that's all I got to say this morning. Let me close with this verse and then we'll pray and, and, and go. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 24, again from Solomon. He said, the best that people can do in this life is to eat and drink and enjoy their work. But listen to what else he said. I saw that this comes from God. 
The book of Ecclesiastes is a book on a man on a journey trying to find happiness in life. And he looked for it everywhere there was. He looked for it making money, having pleasure, getting education. But he realized ultimately the good things come from God. And then he says this amazing statement, no one can eat or enjoy life without God. Well, you say, Pastor, I'm having a good time and God's not in my life. God's in it, but you just don't realize it. God is the one that grows the potatoes and the corn and the meat to put on your table so you can have a burger. God is the one that gives you the capacity to do your work. See, we just assume that because we worked yesterday that we can go and do it again tomorrow. I have one of my dearest friends who was a brain surgeon. And uh, he'd done it for years and years and years. I mean, this guy would do 12-hour surgeries. He had a compassionate heart tender-hearted guy dedicated to his job and one day he's working away in the middle of the surgery suite and something happens to him physically he can't complete the surgery and it was so bad he never went into the surgery suite again just like that it can change I guarantee you he and every person like that realizes that if God's not giving me eyes to see come on now if God's not giving me a heart that, that, that beats if God doesn't give me dexterity in my fingers if God doesn't allow me to see and hear and function, I won't have anything. And he pauses, I hope you pause and I pause today, to recognize the good things in my life, come on, are from Almighty God. And according to the New Testament, it's in Jesus Christ we live and move and have our being. Why don't you stand to your feet, and I want to pray with you this morning. Well, Lord, I want to pray for all of my friends that are here today. First of all, we want to ask you, Lord, if there's something out of whack in our work life, we want you to help us. God, if, we're, if there's laziness in my heart, I want to ask you to forgive me. God, if, if I lack integrity, if I'm fudging on my timesheet, if I'm not being honest, if I'm stealing, I ask you to forgive me. God, I ask you to forgive me if I spend everything I have on myself. But I want to learn to see work from your vantage point. First of all, Lord, I, I want to accept the premise that that's the way to the blessed life. And I want to ask you to help me, Lord, to just get disciplined, to work hard. And, Lord, that I would develop my skills and that I would have integrity so I could be successful. But when I am, Lord, don't let me think it's all about me. Let me recognize and see the good hand of God on everything I do. Come help us, Holy Spirit, today. Help us all, I pray. God bless us. I know many people are listening today and they're not happy at their job. Lord, would you show them what they need to do? If there's another job for them, help them make that step. But if they're where you called them to be, let them see their job more than a paycheck, but it's a place for ministry. Let them have a different outlook on work so it can bring them great joy. In Jesus' name. Listen, we're going to close with one song and a prayer. I want to ask, if you will, if you can just be patient while people are coming for prayer. Our prayer team will be up here, and we'll pray about anything in your life you might have need of. Maybe something in this message really touched you or stirred you. Maybe you need a job. I don't know what the case may be, but we'll pray for you about anything. We'll pray for a family, a friend, member, whatever it may be. But the most important prayer I want to ask you today, friend, is about your spiritual life. It's about your relationship with God. And I want to ask you this question, God forbid, but if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Because there's no guarantee anybody makes it to the car. How many know? Jesus Christ made an offer 2,000 years ago. 
He came to this earth with a very deliberate purpose to die on a cross. This cross symbolizes the cross died on. And Christ died on that cross for one reason and one reason alone, to pay the penalty for our sins. If you're a business owner, you're getting in trouble with the OSHA or EEOC, you've got to come up with a fine, but you'll pay it and you'll get on with your business. But sometimes the fine's too big to pay. And that's what our sin is. You can't give enough money to go to heaven. You can't do enough good things. We need God's forgiveness to open the door to heaven. And that's what Christ offers. See, I was raised around church. I had the privilege of being raised in a little country Methodist church. And I learned about Jesus. But it wasn't until I was 19 that I made a step to turn and follow Christ. And I wonder if your religion is in your head or if it's affected your heart. I was a decent person growing up. I'd pray when I was in trouble, but after I got out of trouble, I wouldn't pray. See, I was kind of using God to help me when I needed Him as opposed to following Him as my Lord and Savior. And one day I came to a deliberate time in my life. I was like at a spiritual crossroads, a spiritual tea, and I realized that God was tugging on my heart, that I needed to commit my heart to Him and follow Him, or I could keep going my own direction that I was going no longer just looking back over my shoulder when I was in trouble and praying and keep going but one day I stopped and I turned myself to the Christ of the cross and I said Jesus I want to ask your forgiveness and I want to commit myself to follow you the rest of my days I received Christ as my Savior I surrendered my life to him and I'll tell you friend life has never been the same and if you feel right now that I'm talking directly to you it's not me it's the Holy Spirit through me telling you that he wants you to become a follower of Christ. And if that's your desire, we'd be honored to pray for you this morning. As they begin to play that song and our prayer team comes up here, I want to invite you to just slip out of your chair, make a bold step, and come over to that cross and let somebody pray for you. We will not embarrass you in any way, but it'll be the greatest step you ever made as you make a step to Christ. Go ahead and begin to sing this last song, Nick. Our prayer team is coming to the front now. If you need prayer for anything, you come on. But most importantly, if you want to get your life right with God, we'll meet you at the cross. I love you. Thanks for coming. And we'll see you, Lord willing, on Mother's Day.